just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name is Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence. As we start, I am very excited to be announcing that we have a new sponsor for the show. I will be sharing more information about that as we iron out the details. But this is a significant point as we come to the end of 2021 and move into 2022. That means this podcast is going to have funding that is going to allow me to start to delegate some of the aspects of production of the show and therefore improve the quality of what you receive and hopefully the quantity as well so we can look forward to better things from speaking influence in 2022 thank you for all of you for your support so far this is the show where we talk about influence and persuasion understanding that Influence and persuasion has the power to change the world. It has done so many times in the past. It is the people who have influence and persuasion skills that can make the biggest difference. And we also want to understand the difference between these skills being used ethically and unethically as well. And we want to encourage all of you to learn to use the skills of ethical influence and persuasion, but be able to recognize the unethical uses to make sure that you can protect yourself and maybe even others from bad bad thinking and bad messages as well. So influence and persuasion have always been important in leadership, so much so that these things have often been kept out of the hands of public knowledge so that they can be controlled by elites. And this means that very often we will find you have never learned the skills of influence and persuasion that you really need in life to be an effective leader. If you are someone who is a public figure, if you are a brand that is in the public eye and you have a business with a public face, then you need to be able not just to speak and present yourself well, but to be able to do so with clarity, confidence and charisma. The things that we want to make sure that you are armed with from speaking influence. So that's why on this show, we speak to marketing and branding experts, people from Secret Service. We've had successful authors and entrepreneurs, former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speech writers, and public speaking experts. With every episode, taking our guest knowledge and experience and turning it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works and become a better wielder of the weapons of ethical influence and persuasion in life and in business, leaving each of us a little smarter and better off than before.
My guest today is someone who has one foot in the world of acting, one foot in the world of public speaking, and a few other fingers in pies as well as he's run out of feet. His name is Sean Tyler Foley, and he is a super interesting guy to chat to. We ended up talking about things like why authenticity is such an overused word and what people really mean when they say the word authenticity. Next episode after this is going to be my Christmas special, which is going to be with body language expert Mark Bowden, where we talk about the body language of influence. It's one that is not to be missed. Make sure you subscribe. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you master the tools of ethical influence and persuasion with persuasive presentations and podcasting host. Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities, and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost-effective than nearly every other platform out there. Don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. Welcome to the show. We are very lucky to be joined today by someone who has acting experience, public speaking experience. He's a writer as well. And who knows exactly what we'll be talking about today. Well, I have some ideas. But let me first formally welcome to the show, Tyler Foley. Welcome, Tyler. Oh, Johnny, it's my pleasure and joy to be here. And thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to speaking to you, and I think the, my biggest problem today is going to be narrowing down the amount of things that we could talk about, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best to keep us on track. So what, what you're saying is we may have to label this part one. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it goes, but that's very, that's very possible, so long as you're happy to come back again in the future. But one thing that it does stand out, and just the simple searching around for your name online reveals some of the acting results. Now, we're coming in, we're in October now. This is the Halloween month, and you've been in a few horrors, a few speaky films, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some actually some really good horror films, too. So, Freddy vs. Jason, the remake of Carrie, um, I, even some of the spoof ones I had a very very small role in scary movie three so i've uh, i i've known my way around the genre so th- this is a good a good month for your residuals possibly then uh yeah yeah well and the funny thing is is it's a good month for them to start to accrue they don't come for a few months afterwards but it always right. makes me smile every time i get uh, i get the check in the mail my wife actually i think it's a little i wouldn't say frustrated but i do a little dance every time because i like <laughs> to be grateful for that money right that's money that just kind of comes to me the universe just gives it to me and i always do want to express gratitude but i do do a silly little dance around the kitchen every time i open up and i go I'm a movie star. I'm a movie star. It's my man, movie star money. And, and she, I won't not do it. And every mm-hmm. time I do it, she looks at me and she's like, do you have to do it? I'm, like, yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I was getting residuals from movies, I would probably do something very similar. I'd have a very happy dance to go along with it. It's, it sounds good. You've also been actually in one of, one of my favorite TV shows, which sadly we seem to get cut short. True Calling with Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku, oh, I loved 
that show. And I agree. I don't know why it it didn't flourish because the premise of it was incredible. Uh, the acting was amazing. The the crew that had put it together, the production staff were top notch. Like that movie or that TV series should have had way better legs than what it did. And I actually stumbled on, into that role. Too. Most of the roles that I got had absolutely nothing to do with talent and everything to do with being at the right place at the right time. And Annette, who was the casting director on it, was actually the extras casting director. And they needed to have a background performer who was going to be paid as an actor because that how acting works, right, in the film industry anyways. Um if you have two char- main characters who are like actually interacting and then you have a third person, even if that person doesn't say anything because they're the, if you took them out of the scene and the scene didn't work, they're therefore considered an actor. And so they basically needed an actor who they could trust, but background was responsible for casting the role. And so she just literally gave it to me. She phoned me up one day and she's like, uh, and I was on another set. I was actually doing stand-in work for her on another set. And so she arranged with the AD staff, the assistant directors, phoned the third AD and she's like, you're going to let Tyler go for an hour. And (laughs) I literally drove down the road from the one set. We were filming at a place called Burns Lake and uh, I had to go to another forest district area where the, they were filming the true calling set uh, and, and show and literally stand in front of the director. And he did one of these. You'll do. And so then I ended up playing <laughs> the boyfriend of a girl who got dropped off and then the killer stalked her and killed her. Uh-huh. And and I just kind of drive off. And they never, no, that was never addressed. You know, nobody came to ask the boyfriend. <laughs> it was the last time they saw her nothing. It was just like, see ya, honey. <laughs> that, was, that was the end of that. So. A moment, a moment of glory, but but nonetheless, so some great, some great film credits, and that's a great show to have been involved with. I, I love it, and a lot of sci-fi nerds like myself pro- probably do. Do do you still do much acting these days, or is it more that you work on the other things now? No, I, uh, I mean, I as you know, I have my finger in many, many pies. But when you're born a performer, you will be a performer all of your life. One of the reasons that I do the work that I do now is because I have structured my career in such a way that I will always get to be on stage. And yes, film and television auditions are still coming my way. I fought it for a while. It was like, oh, it's, you know, yeah, I have the family and, and it's, it was a segmented part of my, my life. But then when my daughter was born, she was a performer too. Like she lights up, <laughs> she tries to get people's attention. And I was like, well, we're going to use this craft for good instead of evil. And, uh, and so I put her into film. Her first role was actually at 11 months old. And uh, so she's been following in my footsteps a little bit. But so because she's I'd probably got out to my- yeah, and I'd reached out to my agent and was like, hey, can you put my kid in film? And she was like, I will take her on as long as you agree to come back. <laughs> okay, that's a good deal. It just, it just brings me back in. And yeah, cool, no, cool I've, I've had some wonderful auditions. I, you know, there's some amazing productions that are filming in and around my area. It's really picking up as far as uh, film production goes. So I, I do what I can when I can. 
Yeah, fantastic. I have a good friend who's in some of the uh, recent Star Trek stuff and uh, she said, come over to Toronto and get you in. Oh man, I'd love to do that. But yeah, just not not very practical, sadly. Uh, but let me see this. I mean, I'm a big fan of the superhero films. And so if you could be any one of the superheroes in any of the superhero films, which one would you choose? Oh, probably Batman. I I love because Iron Man is just a little too classic. Like, I just can't see anybody but Robert Downey Jr. play Iron Man. But Batman has had so many iterations. And I'm actually more of a Marvel fan than I am a DC fan. But there's something about Batman. Everybody else had something. Do you know, yeah. like, they were exposed to gamma radiation. Or they got bit by a radioactive spider. Somewhere radiation was involved, you know. Or they're, they're born at the son of a god or the daughter of a goddess or whatever right like they there's something in their past uh, that gives them their superpowers and i think a lot of people forget that bruce wayne doesn't have superpowers he's yeah. smart and rich which is always is <laughs> never a bad thing to be but then he uses those resources puts his life on the line every day to try and make the area that he lives in a better place. And he has no superpowers. He's just got a lot of gadgets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be happy being any superhero that could fly. I mean, that, that would be a choice. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I say that growing up, Spider-Man was always my favorite, but now, now I'm uh, too, too old and too avoid to ever be a Spider-Man. But Tom Holland does a very nice job. <laughs> so, let's, let's move on into some of the other things you're doing. Cause you said about being a performer, and I've I've had this theory that one of the reasons why I like doing public speaking and a lot of the things that I do in podcasting is because I'm a bit of a frustrated performer myself. So you have moved not on from that necessarily, but you've added into your um, skill set public speaking and writing as well. How did, how did that start? Really organically. I mean, it especially because when you when you start on stage at six years old. It becomes a place of comfort. It becomes a zone of creativity that allows you to be the most yourself. And that's ironic because a lot of times you're playing somebody completely and totally different. But in that craft and in that process, you really have to become attuned with who you are. A lot of times, particularly if you practice method acting, and I will never profess to be a method actor, but I have studied that side of performance. You really have to tap into your emotions, your triggers, what is a true reaction to a, to a given stimulus or an event. You know, they always just talk about laughing at a funeral. Like, that's a real thing, right? Mm. Like, not everybody is, you can be sad and happy at the same time. You can be crying tears of joy and cry, crying tears of sorrow. And your emotion is not set in any given point. And so you really have to become attuned with who you are. And I think when we talk about an authentic speaker, right? I hate that word, first of all. And it's overused yeah. in the industry right now. It's become such a buzzword. We're looking for an authentic speaker. I see it in all the breakdowns and all the calls for presentations. You know, we're looking for an authentic speaker. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're looking for somebody who is self-aware. Because you can have a lot of people who are applying saying, I'm an authentic speaker because, you know, I don't censor myself and I swear on stage and that's authentically me. I'm like, that's not being an authentic speaker. An authentic speaker truly knows who they are at the core. And regardless of the audience that they are in front of, will not deviate from their core values and their core messaging. 
but they will be conscious of the audience who they are in front of, as I am, because a truly professional speaker takes time to analyze their audience, takes time to know who they are speaking to, and will tailor their message for each audience. Which And each audience is always different, which means you are constantly tailoring your message. And if it means that I have to tone down my language because I'm speaking in front of a junior high crowd yeah. versus a corporate crowd, and even if I'm speaking in front of a corporate crowd, I am going to tailor my language. I'm still not going to swear. You ask, and like, I will swear in front of my six-year-old daughter. I am shameless yeah. with my language, and yet I will not swear in front of a corporate crowd because it, it's not necessary. And do I, in my natural state, cuss like a sailor married a trucker? Absolutely. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I have to bring that. And it doesn't mean that I'm not authentic. Like I will not swear on your podcast. You have invited me on to Speaking Influence to give my advice. I'm not going to suddenly start dropping F-bombs just because naturally I would do that. But I think you can tell that I'm still being authentic in my delivery. Like I'm not deviating from it. And so what I found was because I know that, because I've had such an extensive time in the theater, it just translated into better communication when it came to presentations. And more people, you know, and you know how it is when 77% of the world express anxiety around public speaking, the 23% of us that are oddballs are always going to get the opportunity, especially when you seek it out. Like there's some people who just, you know, they, they're indifferent. It's a very small percentage of people who are like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. And I have always <laughs> been the pick me guy. And so I have just yeah. had the opportunities come to me. And then the the book, being a best-selling author of The Power to Speak Naked, came about really because so many people were asking me, how do I do what I do? And I had run so many training sessions on how to do it that it was just a, an easier way for me to provide that material. And so I actually didn't write my book. I spoke my book. We took all the training sessions that I have recorded, transcribed the audio, and put it together in a cohesive 10 chapter, easy to read kind of delivery. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I've, that, had, I've had some other guests who, yeah, I've had some other guests who've done their books in, in a similar way. So it's an interesting start for me because I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to sit down and write and I, I will quite happily, you know, uh, my thoughts will flow out very easily when I'm sat in front of the keyboard or, or with a pen and paper. And, and that would be my preference for uh, writing and, and still still is but i like that idea as well of of talking the stuff out and or just utilizing the materials you've already got there and uh, just you know my, my mom's going to be very pleased that you're not going to swear on my podcast because she likes to listen it uh, however <laughs> if if uh, some words slip out it's never really a problem for me but, uh, but my mom will be grateful and she'll probably message me uh, after the show to to thank me for that so i uh, so i appreciate it but yeah it's, it's, it's interesting my goal for Mrs. Ball to say that Tyler Foley was a pleasant gentleman and you should have him back on your show, Johnny. And if we can get her to <laughs> she, say she that, will. then I'm happy. I'm, I'm pretty sure she will do do exactly that. I have so several of my my family are some very strong supporters of the show. I'm very very happy to say. I have no idea why they listen to it, but uh, but they seem well, to then, enjoy it. While we're here, let's give a shout out and say hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> so. What, what I do want to get into asking you is, I wonder what kind of lessons that you've taken from your acting 
career and classes and everything else you've done around that and brought with you into your speaking and writing work? Well, the main one is that vulnerability is key. If you really want to be able to connect with an audience, you can't be guarded with your emotions and who you are. Even when I was playing a character, the, the real acting is not acting. You're not pretending to be somebody else. You are reacting authentically to a situation. And that requires, again, true awareness of who you are and, and, and what you want to accomplish. And if you are going to truly affect an audience, if you are going to move them and persuade them, you have to connect with them. And the only way to do that is to be vulnerable. Uh, you, and you can see it, right? You know the people who are purposefully trying to be manipulative and are guarded. And we just get that sixth sense. We're like, no, this does not, you do not resonate with me. And the reason for that is because there is conflict. If you have conflict between your heart and your mind, your audience will sense that conflict and they will have conflict with their heart and their mind because the messaging is not aligning. And yeah. uh, they've actually done studies with this. There's a great practice right now called heart math. And if anybody wants to look into it, I strongly, strongly suggest it about the connection between heart and mind. And when we are in alignment, how the electromagnetic ra resonance actually expands and your sinusoidal waves when you're doing an EKG to the other E electronic gram, can't remember, ECG, I think. Yeah, cardiogram. So EKG and ECG, the wavelengths actually match up when your heart and your mind are in alignment. And when they're not, they become really scattered and staticky and very aggressive. And that's what happens when we as an audience are listening to somebody who is on there. Something's not quite right with this person. And we know that we feel that and you'll never land a message that way. So for me, the first real lesson that I got from performance and that I have then translated into public speaking is that vulnerability piece, right? The, the best performances I ever did was when I allowed myself to go to places that were uncomfortable, that, that maybe I wouldn't have wanted to regularly, but it served the role. And now the advice that I give to all of the speakers that I coach then and to myself on a daily basis is the thing that you're afraid to say is probably what your audience needs to hear. And I see that time and time again with all the speakers that I work with, the conferences that I go to. It's when people really truly open up and are vulnerable that the greatest change can occur uh, both in themselves and in the audience. And ultimately, my job as a speaker is to serve my audience. And I can't do that if I'm not willing to go to the places that I'm asking them to as well. Yeah. It's interesting to me because one of the things that I teach with some of my clients is along these sorts of lines is really about how important it is as a speaker to evoke emotional responses in your audience. And to do that, you have to be in those states. You have to activate their mirror neurons. You have to make that connection in that way because people will recognize the emotions. And generally, when it comes to emotions, people can tell when they're fake or not. And, and I think, to me, that's what I would refer to as authenticity. But I know not everybody has that necessarily, uh, that definition, which is why, like yourself, I don't use that word so much. But that's what I'm 
generally talking about, which I think is pretty much along the same sorts of lines. If you want people to experience something, you have to be able to go there yourself and share that with them. And people will really connect in with that. And I find that it's the one thing that people seem to have the biggest struggle with. And that it, it maybe is uh, related to the title of your book, I guess, but maybe is why people have so much of an issue of like, they feel very exposed when they do that. How do you get past that, do you think? Well, uh, first of all, uh, practice. Like knowing you need to have the positive reinforcement to know that doing that has a reward right? Human beings wor work on that risk ward scenario. I mean, we're no different <laughs> than our pets. You know, we, you get a treat and you're going to keep performing that way. And if you get scolded, you're not going to. And the problem, as you are well aware, most people who claim to be afraid of public speaking aren't actually afraid of public speaking. In fact, I would argue that the majority of the planet is actually not afraid of public speaking or the or our entire system of commerce would collapse. You'd never be able to do it. You know, for thousands of years, we've gone to a market and asked for goods and received them back. Well, that's speaking in public. If anybody has ever been to a restaurant and ordered food, you've spoken in public. So you're not actually <laughs> afraid of public speaking. What we're afraid right. of is public judgment. And most people are afraid to get vulnerable and are afraid to allow themselves the moment of self-actualization and self-recognition on stage because they're afraid of the reaction of the audience. They are afraid of that negative judgment. They feel they project future casting and say that this is going to have a negative outcome if I allow myself to do this. And so really the only way to fight that is to do the bungee jump off of the bridge and see if that cord snaps you back or not. And the reality is the audience is on your side, right? So a couple of things that we have to, illusions that we have to shatter. The first one is, is this fear of public speaking. You're not afraid of public speaking. We've already tackled that because if you've been to a restaurant, you're not afraid of public speaking. So let's just blast that one out of the water. The next one is that the audience is somehow going to turn on you and attack you. Well, no, we, especially in the countries that you and I live in, we are far too polite to get up out of our seats to actually do that. <laughs> and even yeah. more so to even vocalize it. Maybe in the States, you might get a, a hostile crowd or two, but even that is mm, uh, slim to none. Like for the most part in society, we have a, a sense of decency and we will not openly and vocally attack somebody but even beyond that even beyond the niceties of it nobody goes to an event nobody goes to a talk or a presentation hoping that the thing is going to fail right you know at most your audience may be passively indifferent to your message because they've been told that they had to go right like i'm thinking like boardroom presentations where your boss told you you had to present and he told or she told the rest of your company that they had to come because we need to listen to last quarter sales statistics or whatever that presentation happens to be. And so you may have an audience who's going, oh, I would rather be so many other places than here right now. But in that, there is still this underlying message of, 
please be good so this isn't a waste of my time. Your audience is on your side. They want you to succeed. And just think of the last time you, so you, the audience listening right now to Speaking Influence, what was the last presentation you've been to? Maybe it was this. Maybe it's this podcast that you're listening to right now. When Johnny brought me on, did you think to yourself, man, I hope this Tyler Foley guy sucks. I hope he brings absolutely no information that is useful to me to this podcast. I hope for the next half hour to an hour that my time is completely and totally wasted. And I'm frankly hoping that by the end of this, I've not only gained no message, but I've actually lost brain cells. But nobody thinks that, right? They're coming. If you have actively tuned into this, you want to be educated. You want to be informed. You want to be moved. You want to have some kind of an experience. So the audience is on your side. They Or they wouldn't show up. Like, that's human nature. If I really didn't want to be there, I would find a reason not to be. I wouldn't hit play. I wouldn't show up to the boardroom. I wouldn't show up to the theater. I would just not be there. I would choose to be somewhere else. So by actively being in that room with you, your audience is already on your side. They want you to succeed. The next thing to remember is you are the expert. You wouldn't have been asked to present if you didn't know more than everybody else. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a PhD in that subject, right? Like try, I mean, I think you can actually get a PhD in fine arts. Like I might be able to get my doctorates, but I'm not going to do that. I have 35 years of experience and are there far better performers, far better actors and far better speakers than I am? Absolutely. I know because I study them daily so that I can make my craft better. But it doesn't mean that I don't know more than some other people. There are people who have never been on stage before. So obviously I have something more to offer them. And the, the first key to that is to, is to stop doing that self-comparison to other people and to recognize that you are sufficient in who you are. Like you would not have been asked. You were the expert. You you had the most experience to be able to speak on this topic than anybody else, or they would have asked somebody else. Especially if you are, and this is the thing that drives me insane. Like if you're somebody like me who actually pays for your own stages, like I put on my own events and then I put out an ad on Facebook that says, hey, come be a better speaker. You know, are you somebody who identifies as an introvert? Are you terrified of getting up on stage? Do you feel that you're going to be attacked every time? But do you know deep down inside that you have a burning message that needs to get out to the world? And if you could just get that message out, you could do so much better. You could have influence in the world. You could make it a better place, leave it better than how you found it. And hey, maybe make a little bit of money along the way. You know, I throw those Facebook ads out. People come to see, well, maybe there's something to this. So let's take a take a look at this Power to Speak Naked event, right? And people yeah. will show up. I don't go, oh, Man, I hope I bomb when I get on stage. I'm like, no, these people came because I have experience beyond them. Could they have gone to Tony Robbins or Darren Hardy or Brian Tracy or gone to Carnegie? Absolutely. They're all options. Mine is a different option. Mine isn't better or worse. It is different. And I hope it's different because I want to be different because I have a unique perspective on it and I can't be bothered comparing myself to other people. So what they, again, those three key critical things to remember is that you're not actually afraid of public speaking. You're afraid of public judgment. And the quickest way to get over public judgment is to recognize that your audience is on your side and you are the expert or you wouldn't have had the opportunity to be there and they would not have shown up. 
So the fact yeah. that you're there and they showed up means that we're set up for success. Now, all I have to do is come and deliver. So there is one aspect of that that I maybe have some, maybe it's not quite so clear. And I wonder what your perspective is on it, because I, I feel that especially when I work with people who are in the business world, that they very much have this sense of they have to portray a certain kind of image. And that is often what's really blocking them from things like vulnerability or authenticity in any way, shape or form. They're trying to be something that maybe they are not fully authentically that person. And the fear there of judgment is of being judged as anything less than that and therefore putting their whole, potentially their whole career on the line for doing things a bit differently. So they end up kind of limiting themselves <laughs> to this little box of what they think they should be based on probably what they've seen other people doing and probably delivering terrible PowerPoint presentations and things, board meetings that put everyone to sleep kind of thing. How do you stop that? Because that's a pretty big barrier to, to really accessing who you can be as a speaker. Well, again, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. So most of what I do when I'm working with my speakers is not actually showing them the stagecraft of speaking, but the art of performance, which is you and I both said, you, you want your audience to feel an emotion. You need to feel that emotion. You can't fake it because then they won't, right? Like I just went like this right now. It's the world's worst fake crying and nobody in your audience is going to cry. But if I tell yeah. you the story about a thing that actually moved me and I allow myself to get into that state and really relive that moment, you, you're probably going to be affected. And I don't, and the other thing is too, I don't need to force you to cry. I just need you to feel what I felt and, and you react authentically to that. So some people maybe don't cry. Maybe some people get a little bit more reserved. Maybe they get a little down. Some people are just going to be like, you know, the ugly snot crying, like, that we can have the entire range. But I would say to that CEO, first of all, if they're trying to imitate somebody else, they're not being authentic. That's the first, we've got to stop it. You've got to stop doing that. If the PowerPoint, lose the PowerPoint. You need to be comfortable. <laughs> I mean, the reason the, the, there's multiple layers to why the book is titled The Power to Speak Naked. We've talked on the one, which is that, you know, I need you to be vulnerable and expose yourself to the raw naked truth that's going to resonate the most with an audience. But the next one is, is I need you to be able to give a naked presentation. And I don't mean strip naked. I mean, strip out the extraneous. You don't need a PowerPoint. You don't even need a, a podium. You don't need the PA, the AV. You don't need all of this stuff. You and I are having a conversation right now, Johnny, and we don't mean anything. Yeah. Especially for people who are listening to this as a podcast. This is an audio medium. I don't need props. What I need is the power of my voice, the conviction in my story, and the ability to deliver. And so for those CEOs and those executives, and I've worked with them, like I worked with an exec. He is the president of the largest home building corporation in a construction corporation in Calgary here. And fancies himself this incredible orator. And the reality is, is he's awful or was, right. you know, went to Toastmasters. Oh no, I read these things at Toastmasters all the time. I'm like, Toastmasters is there to say congratulations. If you made it through your 10 minutes without saying, um, that does not <laughs> a good speech make. 
you know? <laughs> and I would ask him, I'm like, well, why, why is this important to you? And then he would go into these great stories. So the, the reality is this man is a storyteller and he has great stories and great passion behind it. But then as soon as he would stand in front of a podium and he'd write these words down, it, it just nails on a chalkboard ground to a halt. And I told him, I said, first of all, you've got to get away from your script. You've got to get away from your script. You, you need bullet points, like speak from the heart, speak from the heart. We hear that so many times, but I don't think people actually make a true connection with what speak from the heart means. Speak from a true, from a place of honesty and memory, because this, when, when your heart and your head are in alignment, and I know I've already mentioned it, but I really would strongly suggest people go and look into the study of heart math to see why I'm talking about this. When your head and heart are in conflict, you are creating dissonance within your messaging. Your voice will actually physically put out a signal that this isn't right. But when they're in alignment, you have harmonic resonance. And that harmonic resonance will actually literally and figuratively touch people's hearts. Like I can put out a messaging through the electromagnetic field that my body naturally gives off that will harmonize with another heart rate. And when I'm really on, like when we, when you talk about speakers who have it or they're on fire or they, the magic in the room, that's an actual field that can be measured. Like science can prove that that thing actually exists. And the way to do that is to get your heart and head in alignment. And the quickest way to do that is to quit having your head, try to remember what's the next word I'm supposed to say, because it's never going to be in touch with your heart. But if I am recalling a memory or if I am recalling a feeling and I'm speaking of it, I have no choice but to go into my heart and connect with what the feeling is inside here and then speak the word i don't have to think of the words at that point they're just going to come out they're going to literally flow out of me in a state and that is when i'm going to be truly connected with who i am with myself and if i'm truly connected with myself now i'm authentically going to connect with my audience and it doesn't have to be this sad thing it doesn't have to be this happy thing it just has to be like, why is this important to you? And speak from the heart. And as it comes out from the heart and through the mouth, people will resonate with it. Now, you need to do that with some structure and know the way that you're going to connect those together. And so you do need to have a roadmap of how you're going to get there. And that's how I, I all my clients I, ta- I work with, we need you to have the roadmap. So if I know that I need to come and visit in England, right? I need to know that this is my end destination. I'm going to go to England and hook up with Johnny. But you better come to Valencia instead of England. Well, Valencia, that's right, because you've moved. So, and way, way better. That's a better visit. Oh, yeah. But that perfect example, right? I may need to detour through Heathrow to get to Valencia. Well, I may get to well, I may get to Heathrow and realize that you're not there. If I am locked into a script, I'm stuck in Heathrow going, where's Johnny? And you're like, you, you need to come down, you need to come down a little bit further. Just keep another flight, right? But if I'm locked in the script, I can't do that. But but if I have a ro- if I have an end destination in mind, I need to get to Valencia. Well, first of all, I have a lot of ways that I can do that. I can fly to Pearson and then on to Heathrow and then into Valencia. Or Better yet, let's maybe route through JFK or LaGuardia because I have more flight options that way. And now I'm flying on different airlines, right? Or 
maybe I don't fly. Maybe the airlines are grounded and I can't even get on a plane. But guess what? I can get on a boat. See, being on a script and being locked to words is like having an airline ticket and then finding out that your flight is grounded. I have no way to pivot. Oh, I, I am going to go now. My ticket doesn't work. But if I was like, all I need to do is get to Valencia. Now I can plane, train, and automobile. Right? I can drive myself to the airport. Now I can board an aircraft and get to the East Coast. For me, North America. Then I can either get on another plane or get on a boat. Or if I absolutely have to, Get down into my skivvies, put on my swimmers, and swim the ocean if I'm determined to do it. It'll be a much longer trip, but hey, we've got two and a half days together, so let's do this thing. You know what I mean? Like, we, you have to have that end destination in mind, but if you lock yourself into the words, it's rote, and then you get stuck the second you have to detour. Where if you have bullet points, you are completely, totally free to go to whatever waypoint you need to along the way, reroute and get there. And that's the ultimate goal. I don't care how you get me there. I just need to get to Valencia because my buddy Johnny and I need to hang out. That's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's how I tend to focus on life goals of people. I've worked in my coaching and development industry for a long time. And that's pretty much how I explain the uh, goals to people that this isn't something like, you just want to know where you're heading to. And how you get there, that's all part of the process that you figure out along the way. You don't need to know exactly how you get there. Just You just need to know where you're headed. And even then, you know, if you decide you're going to go somewhere else, let's say you're heading to Valencia and you say, well, actually, oh, turns out Johnny is in London after all. So we have, now we have to go over to London. You do that. You go and you have to have that flexibility. And that's super important in communication in general. And I feel that some people in the speaker industry even, take take this whole concept a, a little bit strangely in terms of when we talk about people having that flexibility having the emotion and connection with people on stage that everything has to be super emotive everything has to be like you should be crying whilst you're on stage to connect with people and you really have to tug the heartstrings and all that which i don't think is at all what what either of us or what anyone is really saying well and that's true Right. What I'm saying is you need to connect with your audience. And the best way to do that is to connect with yourself. If it's not an emotional thing, like I can move an audience without ever making them cry. Right. And I, in fact, humor is usually even better. Right. Get an audience to laugh. And if you're not naturally funny, you don't feel that you have natural humor, which I assure you, most people do. Everybody has made somebody laugh at some point, but they're, you know, you don't, You don't have to try and force an emotion. Some of the best things to do are to just be real. One of the greatest presentations that I ever had the pleasure of witnessing, the presenter herself never actually expressed emotion. She was actually quite detached from her messaging because she had spent so much time processing it. But she did it in a way that was very deliberate and very impactful because she never lost sight of who she was and what her messaging was. And so it was only a 12-minute talk, TED-style presentation. And she came up and the first thing she said was, 
I'll still remember the message that changed my life. And then she went on and that was her opening hook, which was by the way, a great hook. Cause now we all want to know what the message that changed her life was, how it changed her life. I just, I, as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, okay, this is one I'm paying attention to. <laughs> and she went on to explain how her husband had just returned home from work and had got up from the couch and had just set his cell phone down. And as he was walking away, his phone pinged and the message came up on the screen. It's, I miss you already. I can't wait till I see you again. And in that moment, every feeling that she had had over the last six months was confirmed. And she knew that there was infidelity within her relationship and that her husband was having an affair. And she said it very matter-of-factly, like this is, this is somebody who at the time when it was happening was absolutely mortified and crushed. But she said it very matter-of-factly, but you knew that she was real, like she was recounting a story. It's just she no longer had the emotion. Well, I promise you, this, this particular conference had an audience of about 300 people and probably 85%, they were all there to see a relationship expert by the name of Mark Groves. And it was called an evening with Mark Groves. And so there was, there was a lot of estrogen that was present in that auditorium. (laughs) And, and the, the, instantly they're all on her side. Oh, sister, you better kick him to the curb because mm -mm, right. And then she went on to explain that there, you know, she had a choice in that moment. She had a choice to stay or a choice to leave. And she wanted to know how much 20 years of a relationship with a man that she loved and still loved was worth. Do we, do we throw it away for a mistake? Do we throw it away for bad choices or do we work on that? And so in this 10 minute talk, she went to talk about how infidelity is a series of choices that we all make a, a degradation of values and priorities that seemingly seem small right? I work with this person. Why don't we have a working lunch? Like what's wrong with lunch? It's just lunch. Well, we've worked late. Maybe we should grab some dinner together. What's wrong with dinner? Oh, I just enjoy their company, right? And then slowly and slowly and slowly that situation devolves until you are in a place where you can't go back. And she's saying it matter of factly, but everybody is hooked. They're sitting on every word because she is not First of all, she's not treating her audience like an idiot. She is telling it exactly how it is. But then she also came out and said a thing that most people found at the time when she said it was not treated well in that she, first of all, said, I had to take some responsibility. They're like, cheaters are cheaters. It's not your fault. She's like, but why? Why was he? Where was my complacency in our relationship that led to this breakdown? I'm not saying that I, and then she was very clear. She's like, I'm not saying I condone his behavior. His behavior was wrong. But if I just put everything on him, we will never solve this. And I want to be with this man. So what could, where was my breakdown? And then she went on to, you know, explain that they'd gone to counseling. They'd worked on things that she had discovered certain things about the relationship. And she was very clear in this 12 minutes, what was going on. But the hook of it, the best part of this, So the very end, she said, and I'm betting you're wondering, there's at least some of you in the audience. And we all were, by the way, because I bet you there is some of you in the audience 
who right now are wondering, what does my husband think of me bearing this deep, dark secret in front of all of you? This is, this is our biggest relationship secret that we've had. And I am telling a room full of 300 strangers about it. And I bet you're wondering how my husband feels about it. Well, you can ask him. He's right there. And he was, he was right in the audience. He was like two rows back and she pointed to him and everyone was like, because they had been judgmental of him. They had been, they had been speaking out. Uh, uh, that's not right. You know, and all this stuff. And he was right there and it showed that they had worked on it because he was willing to own the mistake. He was okay with his wife. He was supportive of his wife coming up and talking about all of this stuff. Now, the reality, she never, she never taught, got into the tears. She was very calm and collected and reserved, but she wasn't inauthentic in any way. She was explaining what happened to her, but she wasn't pushing those emotions. But the audience still felt it. There were people who were crying. There were people who were laughing. There were people who were shocked. There were people who felt all of that. And so it's not that you have to force an emotion. What it is, is that you have to know what your messaging is and deliver it in a way that is true and honest to you at the core. And that will resonate best with your audience. If you do want them to feel an emotion, you need to be able to take them on that journey and leave no detail out. She talked very clearly about that. You know, and when she explains the message and how it popped up on the screen, she was so clear with it. You know, he'd set it down. Like, and I know because I can recall the story. I only ever heard this talk once. She's only ever delivered it once. And I was running the sound for this system. And so I'm concentrating on making sure the mic levels are right and the audience can hear and everything. And she starts talking and I ignored my soundboard for 12 minutes. And I was just looking up going, wow. You know, she talked about the fine details, what the phone looked like, how it lit up. And she didn't mean to read the message. It's just, that's a natural instinct. It pops up. And then when it popped up and she read it, then she could actually process what it meant. And then the rage that came through her and wanted, and then giving the phone, I think she gave, she picked up the phone and gave it to her husband. It seems, I seem to think, can't remember now, but either way, like she, she was very clear with the details and that's what matters. One of the things that I learned working with Bo Eason was that the more specific to you, you can make the story. Like the more details that no one else could give, the more universal it will speak to an audience. The more generic you try to make your story, the less it will resonate with your audience. You need to tap into, you need to see it in your mind for your audience to be able to see it in theirs. And, um, and so for all those reasons, I don't think you have, you don't have to try to push emotion onto it. The emotion will come naturally. But what you do need to do is authentically go back and reveal those details because that's those are the key bits that we as an audience will hang on that will get us to see the world through your eyes, right? Never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, I can't I can't get to Valencia right now to walk in your shoes, Johnny, as much as I would much rather be in Valencia. And, and they're um, very nice shoes as well. But uh, yeah. I, I bet you they are because, you know, the they don't have bad clothes in Spain. It's just, it's impossible to get that. <laughs> um, but I can't. But if you tell me a story through your eyes and you give me the details so that I can see why you feel that way, then I will feel the way that I'm going to feel. And that's the other yeah. thing too. Don't try to force an emotion onto me. Allow me to feel it my way. And part of that comes in the delivery and just you telling your story your way. 
when it comes to that kind of emotional connection, yeah, I think you definitely have to be able to genuinely connect with the emotion of that story. I had a guest a little while back, a guy called Simon Raybould, who was talking about this idea of um, scars rather than scabs when you're speaking, when you're presenting. Like you, you've already healed from it because if it's still going on for you, if it's still raw for you, that's too much. That's too it's too much to bring to the audience. You're still in it. You are still dealing with those emotions. You haven't fully processed it. You can't talk about it as a thing that is not separate, but as a thing that you've actually moved on from. You're still you're still in it, and you're bringing the audience into that whilst you're in it, which is far from ideal. It's very uncomfortable for everyone concerned. But when you can look back and you can still connect with it and say, "Yeah," but you know, you can clearly see that's not where I am right now. I have moved through this then that's a whole different perspective to bring to it. So and, you know, I think there's, there's some, different, some different ways of connecting with the audience, but the storytelling part and that sort of deep level connection very much is, uh, is, is that's relevant. And so we talked a, a bit about storytelling. You mentioned how important it is. And I, I love that you said something that really connects with my mission with this show, which is about arming people with the tools to be able to put good things out into the world and to make a positive difference with their message and have their voices heard because i i feel that that's very much what i'm about with this and also being able to help people hopefully recognize when things aren't quite right and when things when they're perhaps being manipulated or um taken in a way that isn't so good and what they can can do about that so i feel like you know this very much ties in with sim similar missions and I know storytelling is a huge part of, of the world of influence and persuasion, for good and for bad. But you gave us a really good example of, of the power of storytelling. I wonder if for yourself, from some of your own stories, if you could share perhaps one of the stories that you like to tell and why you like to share that. Well, it, it depends on the context. And one of the things that I teach and something that I actually learned from Les Brown is you never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. So the first thing is, what is the point that I'm trying to land? Because that will influence and help my toolkit selection of the story that I'm going to use. Some of the default ones and how we how I've come to get my stories is the same process that I work with all of my clients with. I have a, a method where you have at least five influential, influential stories in your life. We all do because we have at least five memories that always stick with us. And I have a process where we pull out why is that significant to you and what do you do? For me, the ones that I usually end up defaulting to quite regularly, the sound that my father, my mother made the day that our family physician and a police officer came to the door when I was six years old and told her that my father was never coming home. I know where I was, what I was doing. I remember the sound, how it reverberated, not only through the house, but literally through my soul and the neighborhood. Like it was in the movie, The Princess Bride, they talk about the sound of ultimate suffering and it, and it reverberates out through the kingdom when Wesley's being tortured and they throw the torture machine up to 50 and he, they kill him right there. And, he, and it's this ultimate suffering that he, th this noise that he makes and it's animalistic and it's haunting and it, and it doesn't even sound human. My mother made that noise and it's haunted me to this day. It, it sends chills down my spine and it is motivated. It has really shaped who I am because I never want to hear that sound again. And in my early formative years, being six years old, most of my memories are actually auditory, like the ones that have propelled me forward. Because 
very shortly after that was the first time that I ever heard an audience laugh and clap at something that I did. And that's a sound that I have sought for my entire life. So I have two sounds that have greatly shaped and influenced who I am, and they both came from six years old. The one was the sound of my mother that I never want to hear again, and the other was a sound of a crowd that I will always seek. And these two competing sounds have influenced every decision I've ever made. And so though that's one of the stories that I talk about. I, I talk about the when I was 17, New Year's Day, 1997, waking up and not being able to move the left side of my body and brushing my teeth and realizing that I couldn't control my mouth and that toothpaste was pouring out of the side of my mouth. I was just foaming and realizing in that moment that everything had changed and literally slowly coming to the realization that the left side of my body was paralyzed and how that influenced me in my senior year of high school at a fine arts high school, having to withdraw from a show, having to really analyze and think about my future as a performer. How do you perform if half of your body doesn't respond to the commands? And what were my options? What what could I do? And then the determined amount of physiotherapy and just medical intervention that I could get to try and make my body work again. You know, to my most recent story that I've got to add to my toolbox, which is the birth of my daughter. And again, auditory, we only have one because I never want to hear my wife make the sound that she makes giving birth. <laughs> again, and my wife never wants to feel that pain. But the joy that came with that experience, because it was very traumatic for my wife, my, my daughter actually got stuck in the birth canal. And at a point where they had very few medical options, she was too uh, far along to now reverse the process and have a C-section. So she had to come naturally, but she was stuck and they, 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 it was very touch and go. And for the very briefest of moments, there was a probability that not only could I have lost my wife and my life partner and my best friend, but I could have lost my daughter all at the same time. And the, the noise that my wife made when they were finally able to free my daughter from her physically and metaphorically was, was again, a terrifying moment. And then the joy that came that as soon as Kenzie made her first cry and knowing that everything was okay, that Jen was going to be okay, that and my wife was going to be okay, that my daughter was okay. And then seeing this new human that 10 months previous didn't exist in the world and, and knowing now literally that life had changed forever. And, and all of the emotions that went with that, I was terrified. I mean, you know, like I didn't, I, and we had our daughter late in life. I, I was 35 when she was born and uh, she was born five days before my birthday. She's the greatest birthday present that I've ever gotten. And, and just, and you know, all of the emotion that comes with it, it's just indescribable. Like you can't, there's no way to use words to describe what goes through that. But what I can do is relive all those moments, like thinking back to being the first one to hold her because I held her before Jen was held because once she was born, they still needed to attend to her medically because things yeah. were still touch and go and not well. And so I was actually the first 
uh, person to hold my daughter and then them having to take her away to get her checked and then me not knowing where I should be. And it was just chaos in the delivery room and all of the emotion that went with that. So we have these stories in our toolbox. It's knowing why to use them. And I have 30, 40 that I pull on. When I do my safety presentations, I talk about what is quite possibly the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was an industrial accident that occurred at my workplace where I actually saw a human being vaporize before my eyes. And that's always a hard story to tell. And you talk about, and and I love what uh, Simon says about that with the scars, not stabs. That is something that I still have PTSD over to this day. I, it's, you'll never get over that. You can't witness a man literally vaporized like it was the world's most horrific magic trick. Literally, one minute there was a human being standing in front of me, and the next minute the only remnants of him was a red stain down an airplane and a single steel-toed boot lying below a propeller. Like it was horrific, but it again, greatly impacted my life. And I have told that story countless times but i remember this one time i was doing a presentation up at a large industrial site it was a leadership group small intimate group and my job was to get this group to resonate why safety is important to them not why they needed to care about it for the company but to them and and part of that was why safety was important to me why i dedicated my life as a safety professional And I was recounting the story and I got lost in it because I, you know, I do go back to it and I tell the details and I was there and I remember seeing that boot lying on the tarmac and I shut down and I know what my emotional out is. Like I know how I get out of that story every time I tell it. It's very practice. It's very rehearsed because it needs to be, but in that one delivery, in that one group, I remember looking at, there was a guy, he was three rows back and there was a woman that was beside him with the training. And I don't know what it was, but she reminded me of the guy's fiance and he looked like the guy that I had seen die. And I was just, it was too real for me in that moment. And I just, I couldn't get out. And I was so thankful that it was a dual facilitation, that it was a thing that I was presenting with another presenter because we had this dynamic of on and off. Because if it weren't for that, I would have had to have been like, I'm sorry, everybody, I need need five. Luckily, I was able to get my five without disrupting the flow of the presentation and bless. David Handler, if you're listening to this, I will forever to this day owe you for saving me in that presentation. You are a true professional and I love you dearly. So that's my shout out. We got a shout out to your mom, Johnny. And that's my shout out to David Handler, who is an incredible coach, by the way. And I'll we'll uh, make sure it gets to him. I'll send him, I'll send him a copy. Look, <laughs> he's on my mailing list. He, he will get the distribution, but I will tell him that specifically he needs to listen to this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Tyler, one, one of the things that is a bit sad for me is that we don't have all, uh, all the time available to, to continue the conversation because I think there's so many more places that I wanted to get to. We may have to have that part two that we talked about before. But it's been wonderful hearing about your stories and your experiences. And I think we start to get very much an idea about how powerful storytelling can be and really the difference between stories that you're still 
very much in of dealing with and the stories that you've already moved, moved on from and been able to process and look back on is uh, it's a very important difference to be able to make, especially if you're going to talk about them in front of people. And so many things I'd, I wanted to get to, but I know that some people are going to be wanting to find out at least how they can come and find out more about you. Well, the easiest way to do that is to go to my website. But before they do that, Johnny, if they are getting value out of speaking influence, you know, if they're tuning into you regularly, they're doing it for a reason. And so if you have audience members who are regular, this is you, you're, you know who I'm talking to, you right now listening. If you are regularly getting value out of the guests that Johnny is bringing on, before you go to my website, you're already on a device, you're already listening to the Speaking Influence podcast. So I would ask you to hit pause right now. Give Johnny a five-star review for all the work and the effort that he's going into, including getting me to try to compress this into as much of a short hour as we can and give him that five-star review and tell him an episode that really resonated with you so that, you know, if it was Simon Raybould or if it was myself or somebody else, if there is an episode that uh, spoke to you, if you could give some details, right? Tell the story. Tell the story of why you regularly come back and listen to this and give it a five-star review. And if you could do me that favor, then if you come over to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com, uh, you can click on our main landing page and download a free copy of The Method, which is an 11-page document with five insider secrets that I've put together over 35 years of public speaking so that you can be a little bit better public speaker. You can also join my free Facebook group there where I come on live every Tuesday for 20 minutes and break down some of the stuff that I've uh, learned over my 35 years or things that have come up in podcasts uh, where I get to have these great conversations like the one that I'm having today with Johnny. And you can get all of my, you can connect with me there. You can get copies of the book. You can find out what my speaking schedule is. And all of that is at seantylerfoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. So seantylerfoley.com, you can go and get all of that information there. But you're already on your device right now, so give Johnny a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you can do me that favor, I will do you the favor of serving you the best I can if you come over to my website. I, I certainly appreciate that, and th thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that message as well. I'd certainly, reviews I'd love to receive, and you will certainly receive my grateful, ongoing love and, and everything for, <laughs> from here on in if you leave reviews for the show. So my undying gratitude will go out to all of you. What I do also like to ask all of my guests is, apart from your own book, which has got to be worth checking out and uh, definitely be going on to my reading list, is a book that you would recommend, maybe more than one, but uh, could be related to some of the things we talked about or a book that uh, perhaps has just had a huge impact on you. I and mean, you mentioned something a bit earlier that, that maybe there's some information further reading around as well. So what, what recommendations would you have for my audience in terms of books or resources to check out? I'm going to give them five. And I promise you, Johnny, I'm wow. going to do it quick. The first okay. one is by an author called Tom Duda, and it's The Way of the Quiet Warrior. I believe the subtitle to it is uh, 90 Days to the Life You Desire, or something like that. But it's definitely The Way of the Quiet Warrior, Tom Duda. Duda is D-U-T-T-A. Uh, phenomenal book, great inspirational, easy read, very actionable, and I love it. The next one is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, which 
is just a great book for understanding that you can have incremental change in your life, but it adds up over time and taking down that daunting task of trying to tackle some large goals in life. And again, talks about the roadmap. You need to know what the end destination is and what are the tiny steps that we can do to start getting there. I, I love that book. I reread it probably once a year. The Four Agreements is another one that I make all of my clients read because it's so simple. And yeah. it, it seems simple when you just go, don't just Google the four agreements and go, oh, okay, I'm going to do these things. You need the explanation <laughs> that goes with the book. And then yeah. there's a whole companion series that you can dive down the four agreements rabbit hole with and Toltec wisdom. And, and it's just a beautiful book. But if you can start with the four agreements, that's a great one. Uh, one of the most influential books that I ever picked up was the Dilbert Future. And what I want you to do is if you pick up that book, it's a compilation of Dilbert comics um, that are put together by Scott Adams. The comics are great. They're fun. Read it. Go for it. But what I want you to do, if you do pick up the Dilbert future, flip to the very last chapter because it has nothing to do with comics. And in fact, he says, if you've been reading these comics, this is great. I'm about to take a huge detour. And he talks about the power of visualization and how he used affirmations to achieve all of the success. And he has concrete examples of how he did it. I read that book when I was 18 or 19, and it profoundly changed the trajectory of my life. And I, I strongly recommend it. And because I've just dumped four fiction books on or four nonfiction books on you, I'm going to give you the greatest fiction book ever written. And it is called The Fool's Progress by Edward Abbey. I make all of my clients read it. So if you want to learn true storytelling in a powerful way and how to weave a narrative uh, that keeps your attention through over 400 pages. This is a massive tome of a book. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. The Fool's Progress by Edward Abbey. It is a true masterclass in storytelling, in empathy. You start off hating the main character, Henry Lightcap, and by the end, you love him. And the funny thing is, is the beginning and the end are the same chapter. And it is, it's just a, a masterclass in storytelling. So those would be my five recommendations to your readers. Well, so some of them I've already read. Some of them are going on my Amazon wish list, that's for sure. Um, but you've done nothing but provide great value for us today. And we've had value after value after value. Uh, and you've been an, an, an incredible guest. And I wonder if the, hopefully there's more than one thing people take away from listening to this today. But if there's just one thing that you hope people will remember from this conversation and take away and hopefully apply into their lives, what would that be? That your message matters. You have no idea the impact you can have on the world until you speak your truth out. And so the thing that you're afraid to say is the thing that your audience very likely needs to hear. I'm not asking you to expose your deepest, darkest secret. What I'm asking you to be is to be authentic, be vulnerable, share the thing that is on your heart in the moment, and you have no idea the impact that you could have in the world. I, I think we might have to set up that part two uh, another time. But for now, Sean Tyler Foley, thank you so much for coming and being my guest on Speaking Influence. Johnny, it was my joy and my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure you subscribe for future episodes. And why not share the episode app on your social networks to your friends who may also be interested in learning tools and skills of influence and persuasion. Let me quickly apologize for some of the sound issues in there. The levels coming through when we were recording were a little bit high from Tyler's end. And I did my best to soften them and reduce them, but there were still 
a few distortions that I just couldn't fix after the recording. Hopefully that didn't spoil your enjoyment of the show. Do make sure you come and join me next time where my guest is Mark Bowden, international body language expert. And we are talking about the body language of influence. I can promise you that is a show not to be missed in our Christmas special for this year. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen. See you next time.